This morning's reading is from Ruth chapter 2. Ruth meets Boaz. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy, um, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God creator of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her the roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young man saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull, some, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the, ma the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, I want to ask us a question this morning. Um, 
Tom is right. I know he's going to even uh, talk about that devotion. But Advent is a, a season of, of desire, isn't it? A season of longing, a season of us looking forward to um, uh, something that we are hopeful for. And so uh, maybe you've been asked this question already this, uh, this season, but what do you want for Christmas? Um, and I, I don't mean like what are you expecting under the tree on Christmas, but what are you, in our, in our day and age, we would use the, the term looking for. What are you looking for this Christmas? Um, or to use biblical language, what are you seeking after? The wise men came seeking after the Lord. They were looking for something specifically. Um, we see, uh, we, sometimes we, we say, Lord, just give me a sign. I'm looking for a sign. And so what is it that you're looking for? What is it you're hoping for this Christmas? Because this is a story of, of seeking. Um, and, and seeking uh, is something that is basic to uh, to all of life, really. Animals seek after food. They seek after shelter. They seek after social groups and mates. Um, we do all those things as humans as well, right? We name them different, but, um, you know, we look after, a, a, we look for a, a job that will provide for us, a career, um, obviously food, and a house that we might be able to to live in. We look for friendship. We look for maybe a, a life partner, um, but because we are made in God's image, we're not just like the rest of the animals. We look for things that are more, don't we? We look for things that are spiritual. We look for things that are moral. Um, regardless of how you would even define your morals, we are all looking for moral purity. We're looking for meaning. Maybe this morning you're looking for peace. And this is a story of seeking. Um, if you remember last week, if you weren't here last week, we'll just catch you up briefly. Um, you have this character, Naomi, um, who moves from uh, Israel, um, an Israelite family, um, uh, and they move to Moab. Uh, Moab actually was uh, one of the, in, in a sense, enemies of, of Israel. They had enslaved Israel. They had ruled over Israel. They had cursed Israel, um, all of these different things. And the famine hits the land, and rather than staying in the land of promise, Rather than turning to the Lord, they leave and they go to Moab uh, in this foreign land. And it's not long after Naomi's husband dies, her two sons die. Um, they've taken Moabite wives, so she's left with her two daughter-in-laws. Neither of them had children yet. Um, and she is uh, there and, and had settled. They had lived there for a decade. Um, and now hears uh, that the Lord has revisited his people and that there is uh, a harvest that is taking place. And they go back to Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Um, but she says, listen, I went away from this place full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. And she calls herself, don't call me Naomi, which used to mean pleasant, but call me bitter. And she's looking for um, uh, something to, to be full. She's gone away empty. And this story is moving from emptiness back to fullness. Um, and so here this story opens up, and we're going to see in the very first verse. Uh, this verse, if this were a movie, um, this is a kind of a cutscene or a split screen in some way to kind of gather our attention um, to, this, to, to a foreshadowing that is taking place. Um, and so all of a sudden, now we have Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, of the same clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So we just get introduced to this guy. There's this guy, uh, Naomi, uh, Naomi's uh, husband's relative, Boaz. And then it just kind of goes back into the story again. 
Um, and so if, if uh, think of, this is just a story, it's a narrative, and so the, the, it's not a very long story. Uh, the writer is being very careful with his words. Um, he's choosing them carefully, and he's trying to draw our attention to, uh, hey, there's going to be this character coming up in the movie. There's going to be this character in the story um, whose name is Boaz. He's significant. Pay attention to him. He's going to be integral to the story. And that's going to be true. We're going to look at Boaz um, because Boaz is going to give us uh, a picture um, of, of Jesus. We just don't want to look to Boaz, but we're going to look through Boaz as well um, to see the bigger story of redemption and grace that's taking place that's here. Remember, this story is taking place in the setting of the time of the judges. Uh, that's characterized by there was no king and everyone did right what was, uh, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So there's no uh, overarching governance. Uh, every tribe is just kind of doing their own thing. Everybody's just kind of whatever, whatever they see fit, they go for, they do. And it's this dark period. You can go read the book of Judges. It's a pretty dark period in the, in the, in the history of God's people. And so Boaz is going to stand out um, really as a light in the darkness. And so does Ruth. They become this model um, for us um, to, to learn much from. And so this is what we want to do. Uh, today. We want to look to this story and see how the Lord is going to uh, provide, how he's going to protect, and how he's going to fill this emptiness, how he's going to be all that Naomi is seeking after. Um, and so we have this, uh, this introduction. Boaz is this legal relative of Elimelech. That's going to provide, uh, that's going to be crucial as we'll see really next week. Um, we'll not try to get too far ahead of ourselves. But really, as, as we read at the end of this chapter, um, because of Israelites' laws and customs, uh, Boaz is one of their redeemers. Um, he has the ability or, or, or maybe even obligation um, to provide uh, certain things. And so uh, this is um, why Boaz is such an, an important man. Notice that he's called a worthy man. Um, this can mean a capable person or a wealthy man, a wealthy person. That's certainly true of Boaz. Um, but there's more, there must be more to this description than just wealth and influence that's in view. Because the same word is used to describe Ruth in chapter 3, verse 11. And Ruth is poor. And she's a foreigner. And she's not a person of stature or means. And so uh, this description of him being a worthy man isn't just one that points to his wealth. He's also a man of integrity. He's a man of godliness. He's a man of moral worth, um, not just material wealth. Um, and we'll see how this proves for, uh, uh, so important. Ruth acts as this kind of really bridge between this time of Judges and then into, into 1 Samuel, as we're going to see uh, the monarch, uh, monarchy of Israel begin to be established, um, um, a, a throne begin to be established. And it's an important book because it really is a book that's filled with light and hope in the darkness. It's one that doesn't really have any nasty characters in it. Um, it's everyone in here, uh, it, it, you know, is a, is, a, is a person that is trying to do right, is trying to do good. People that are failing in their faith at times for sure. Um, people that are uh, struggling with their circumstances um, to be sure. Um, but certainly one that would provide us with uh, hope. Um, and so here we go in verse 2. Ruth, uh, the Moabite, again, she's described as the Moabite, kind of again um, drawing our attention to some of the tension that is there. She's out of place. She's a foreigner. Um, she's, uh, she's, she's not seen to be as one that's counted among 
um, God's people that's there. Um, but she's a, she's a new believer, um, so she's, she's placed, we saw last week, she's placed her hope and her faith, not just in Naomi, she's not hitching her wagon just to Naomi, but to Naomi's God. Your God will be my God. And somewhere over the period of the decade that she was there uh, with uh, Ru, uh, Naomi, she's obviously come to um, an active faith, as we'll, we'll see even in this chapter as well. Um, she doesn't come from the best of families. She doesn't have any money. She's single, and yet we're going to see her faith really shines through in this chapter. She's seen to be courageous, humble, loyal, hardworking, even as an immigrant among outsiders. She's a widow, um, and yet her faith, like all true faith, is one that acts. She steps out and acts in faith. So she turns to Naomi and says, let me go into the fields. I'm going to go and glean um, the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi um, just says, yeah, sure, go, 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 my daughter. Um, We saw last week, this book teaches us a lot about God's providence. Um, That is God working out his sovereignty according to his good plans. And it's important to see here how the characters in this book are not passive. Quite the contrary. We believe that it is God who acts in saving us, that we add nothing, we, we contribute nothing to God saving us. So we don't want to confuse us uh, 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 acting in the sense of, of what do we do to earn our salvation in, in, in that. There's nothing we could do, there's nothing we could uh, do to, to garner God's favor. But what we see here is when we're talking about um, at once we are saved, once we are among God's people, Faith actually requires action. God's providence works its way out through the actions of people. Our faith isn't a passive faith. It's not we just, uh, Ruth just said, well, here we are. I guess we'll, let's just, let's just stay home and we'll just, we're just going to pray all day. And, you know, maybe that manna that I heard about uh, will just fall from heaven. No, there was a, there was a, a law um, that actually was in place that allowed for um, the provision of the poor. Um, for the sojourner. And so this is a faith that is, she's stepping out in. It's not a passive faith. God's providence works its way out through human action. And so we see this law. Um, um, we've got a couple of verses that are here that are describing this. This is the law that was given to God's people, to the Hebrew people. Uh, we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. It says, When you reap your harvest in your field, uh, and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner. That's the, the foreigner. That's the person traveling through, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt before I commanded you to do this. You too once were a foreigner in the land, and I provided for you. You too then will demonstrate the character of God in that um, as well. We see it again in Leviticus, um, these instructions that are here. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes uh, of your vineyard. 
You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And so uh, as they were harvesting their field, they were to leave the edges. They weren't to get into every corner. Um, as stuff fell as they were harvesting, they were to leave it. They weren't, they weren't to go back and, and gather every single last uh, 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 piece. They were to leave those things that, um, that fell naturally that, uh, during the work. They weren't to go all the way to the edge. They were to leave some there as kind of communal cupboards for the poor. Um, the poor that didn't own land, the sojourner whose land uh, he, he couldn't own because he wasn't of those people that were there. This is how they would be provided for. Um, and notice he says, why are all these things? Because I am the Lord, your God. It's, it's connected to God's character. And so the law involved provision, but it also required effort and work on the part of the poor. They weren't going to improve their status, um, but they certainly could survive. Um, and it was a humane way to do that. And so here uh, is, is what they are relying on. Um, despite this law, some landowners still weren't friendly to the idea of the poor gleaning in their fields, disobeyed those laws. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 27, Isaiah 1. Um, and so they disobeyed these laws. Um, and we'll see even here, it was, it was a bit risky. Um, there's risk involved going into these fields, especially for a single woman without a family who's a foreigner, um, she was exposed, and, and in some ways, depending on whose field she ended up in, um, you, you never knew what would happen. She doesn't go to the fields, notice, with a sense of entitlement, but she goes with humility. Um, in verse 2, she's seeking favor. This is an important word. This is going to show up uh, three times in this chapter, in verse 10 and verse 13. Um, she's, she's seeking the favor of the Lord. Um, she's seeking the favor of the landowners that's there. And so Ruth's, Ruth's meeting with Boaz really is depicted, this d- depiction of Ruth's humility and Boaz's grace coming together. This meeting of humility and grace. And this is exactly how God deals with us, with us as humanity. In Proverbs 3, 34, towards the scorners, he, that is God, is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. The same word that's used here. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so gleaning is hard work. It's it's humble work. It's not always safe, as we said, especially for a foreigner who's vulnerable. She doesn't have a family to protect her. She doesn't have brothers or or, or a father. And yet she steps out in faith, hoping to meet a a landowner that will show favor upon her. And so in verse 3, then she comes upon Boaz's field. And, and there's important words that are used here. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields of the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to, Bo, to Boaz. Now, now again, these, this is important. The, the writer's being intentional here. He's trying to draw our attention. You're like, wait a minute. This is all about God's providence, <coughs> God's sovereignty, and she just so happened. Um, but this is language that's going to be used again, and it's meant to, to, to draw our attention to that. We might read it you know, as luck would have it, or, or um, it, you know, it just so happened to be, like it was a coincidence. We don't really believe in, in coincidence and chance, and neither does the writer. We believe in the providence of God. So Proverbs 16, 9, um, I think we have that, that one here. The heart of the man uh, uh, plans his ways. So we, we plan our ways, right? We plan our ways in our heart, but it's the Lord that establishes his steps. The Lord is working through our plans. He's working through our activity. Um, Jesus would tell us in Matthew 10 that not one sparrow even falls without the Lord seeing and knowing. So how much more does he care for us? So why use this phrase then that it just, she, she happened? It, it, in, the, in the actual Hebrew, it reads more like this, the happenstance that happened to her. 
He's trying to draw our attention to that. And, and what happens then um, as he's using this phrase, he goes on then, right, um, in, in, in verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Is he just using this like old school flourish? No, again, it's she just happened to come into his field. And Boaz just happened to come. And lo and behold, here comes Boaz. This is, this is um, the the literary device that's being used here. Um, he's trying to draw our attention to this is, this just can't be coincidence. And as the story unfolds over and over again, we'll clearly see that it's not coincidence, um, that it's the hand of God working, not just in their lives, but working to unfold his broader plan of redemption as he provides uh, the lineage um, of Jesus himself. These people are looking for something, but they're looking for something even more than what they know they're looking for. And so let's make a few observations, really, of of Ruth's faith that we might be instructed and inspired this morning. Notice that her faith acted. We mentioned this already. It's not a passive faith. Our faith requires us to do something. It requires us to actually place our faith in God. Um, right now you're placing your faith actively in the chair you're sitting upon. So I can say I believe in that chair will hold my weight. I could give you all the detailed reasons why. As a, you know, engineering, it looks sound. It looks like it's reinforced there. It's made out of metal. My weight, I think that would bear my weight, right? And I could have all the, all the intellectual arguments for why that would, but I'm not actually placing my faith in that chair in that moment. It's an intellectual assent to that chair would do its job, but I haven't acted on that yet until I put my derriere in that seat and it bears my weight and I actively put my faith in that chair. And it's the same. Ruth has made a profession um, that God would be her people, uh, that God would be her God, that, that uh, she would go and, and live amongst God's people in the ways that God's people lived. But now she has to go out and actively act on that faith. We notice that her faith also involves a desperate need for grace. Naomi and Ruth are in a desperate place. Uh, We don't know where they're living. We assume um, uh, the plot of land uh, that belonged to her husband, um, to Elimelech, um, might have had a house or or maybe a mud hut or something on it that they might be living there. But what we do know is that they don't have any provision. They don't have food. There's a desperate need uh, for grace to be shown to them. And so she's acting in faith, uh, relying on the laws that God had laid out for his people. Notice that her faith is also um, shot through with humility. We see her going. She's asking for permission um, to glean. Um, uh, Notice whenever he asks. Um, She's a young Moabite woman. They're they're describing who she is to Boaz, who came back with Naomi from the, the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. It's laced with humility because she's asked, she didn't just come in presumptuously. She comes, she asks, please allow me to, to glean. And her faith worked. Um, it worked. She worked hard. Um, she put her faith in action, but from early morning until now, except for a short break. And notice that her faith really begins... Um, in verse, when we see in verse 12, we see this active. In verse 12, Boaz says to her, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come 
to take refuge. Now we saw in chapter one, Ruth make this confession. Your God is going to be my God. But now she acts upon that. And Boaz recognizes that you, the reason you've come here isn't, isn't just because of, of, of uh, uh, this is my field. She doesn't know who, who, who Boaz is at this point, remember? She has no, we, we get this foreshadowing. We know who this is. Our anticipation, if we were watching this as a film or something, is, oh, this key chance meeting, I wonder, are they going to get married? Are they gonna, is this going to resolve? She has no idea who he is. She has no idea that he's a relative related to her dead father-in-law at this point at all. But he recognizes that she's come ultimately to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. Her acting in faith really was rested upon her, her, her taking refuge under the wings of the Lord. She was placing her faith ultimately in what the Lord would do for her through his promises through these laws, through um, the obedience of people taking on these laws. And so here we have this single, young, immigrant woman in this bright, shining example of her faith, her faith acting, her faith stepping out, her faith laced with humility and hard work, understanding her need for grace. And then we get introduced to, um, to Boaz. And again, in verse 4, behold, here he is, the man has come at just the right time. And um, let's look at, at Boaz. Look at his greetings that he, he comes. We're going to see what kind of man Boaz is. Um, this is important really for all of us to, to learn from and take note of, but particularly men. Um, remember, this is in a patriarchal society. Um, uh, our society is much more egalitarian now. Um, so this is taking place in a... In a culture that is dominated um, by men um, at the time. Um, definitely men would have taken advantage um, of that for sure. But Boaz seems to be different. Um, he's a different kind of character. And so he comes and he greets his employees, the Lord be with you. And they answer, the Lord bless you. This is our first impression of him. He doesn't, this doesn't seem like empty religious talk. Again, the storyteller is frugal with his words, and he includes, what he includes is significant, just like this little greeting. It's a detail that he's added in for a reason and a purpose. It's denoting what kind of uh, man and character he is. He's coming and he's greeting his employees um, with blessing. And he repeats this great covenant promise of God. Remember, God promised his people, Joshua 1.5, I will be with you. And this is woven out the entire Bible. It's seen in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us in Matthew 1.23, who promises to be with us to the very end of the age as he leaves in Matthew 28. God with his people is a central theme throughout all. And so Boaz is, is, is recalling this. Remember the presence and the blessing of God in this field. And the workers respond to him with a... a similar greeting, and we anticipate kind of great things coming from him. Boaz's faith, as we'll see, isn't just once a week kind of a thing. It's not just like, uh, hey, the Lord bless you, and, and just kind of going on about his business. We're going to see that these words he actually believes in, in an acts. Um, he seems to have Yahweh on his mind, even in the middle of his field, um, even in his workplace. And that's the point of a relationship, isn't it? To have that person with you all the time. Not just for, you know, quiet time, an hour in the morning, as important as that is, or, right? 
but being aware of God's presence, being aware of His promises with us, knowing that God is with us wherever we go. It's easy sometimes, isn't it, um, uh, to think that this is, this is where we gather and God's presence is, is here among us. And that is certainly true in a special way. God gathers with his people when we are gathered together um, as we sit under his word, as we come to the table, as we receive bread and wine. He gathers with us in a special way here, no doubt. But he's with us all the time. Um, John even referenced that in his prayer. He wasn't going to pray that God would be with um, Mary Jane and Alan. He knew that God is already there. He prayed that they would be aware of his presence. And that's our prayer for us this morning as well. Do we know that God is with us? The Lord be with you, even in seasons of depression, even in seasons of anxiety and sickness or in need. Naomi and Ruth find themselves in great need. Naomi, does she know that the Lord is with her even in her bitterness? even in her grief, even in her despair. You can kind of see this, isn't it? It's Ruth who takes the initiative. It's not Naomi who's, who's saying, okay, now here's the plan. It's almost like she's just overwhelmed with her grief, with her bitterness, with her emptiness. Ruth takes the initiative, and she's like, yeah, yeah, go. Yeah, go. And we can understand. She's been through a lot. She feels like God has dealt harshly with her. And yet, in the midst of all of this, God is working out his plans to be abundantly kind and gracious to Naomi. We see then Boaz, he's aware then, um, he, uh, he notices Ruth, and he asks this question, verse 5, whose young woman is this? Um, notice he doesn't approach Ruth directly. He goes to the foreman, uh, his, you know, the guy in charge uh, of the field at the time. And he asks him her name, um, and uh, he asks who, who this young lady is. Uh, he refers to her as a daughter later on. So Ruth, Ruth is probably younger, uh, not probably, but maybe even significantly younger than Boaz. Um, but he wants to know something about her. He wants to know her origins. Um, he doesn't recognize her right away as the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Um, all he notices at this point is that she's out of place, and she's by herself. And again, the, no, the foreman notes her Moabite ethnicity, her connection to Naomi, um, her desire to glean, but he also notes her impressive work ethic. She's worked all day except for one short break. Um, and uh, here we, again, we have this mark of humility, her hard work. Ruth expresses really this kind of virtuous, the ethics of a virtuous woman that we find in Proverbs 31. She's diligent. She's hardworking. Let's observe some things then about Boaz because, again, I want us to not just look at Boaz, but I want us to look through Boaz. Boaz is really, this whole story is, is, a, is a specific story that happens in real time and real history, but it really is meant to draw our attention to the broader story as well, as much of the Old Testament does. Do you remember when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus um, after his resurrection and the disciples don't recognize who he is? And, and um, he basically starts with the, Old the, uh, the, the Torah and works his way all through the prophets. Essentially, he goes through the Old Testament, explaining how all of it was pointing to him. It was all about the Messiah. Um, and this is a great example of that. So we want to look through Boaz as well to, uh, to, to Jesus. Boaz in this particular story is a redeemer, but he's pointing to the greater redeemer as well. 
And so um, let's see some of his features as well. First of all, let's notice his provision and his protection. His provision. Um, he authorizes her this uh, uh, ability to come and glean in his field. He obeys God's word. He, he obeys those laws that we looked at, even when no one else was. When everybody else is doing what's right in their own eyes, Boaz is obeying what God had laid out um, for his people to act. He very easily could have been, is a foreigner, Moabite, she's, she's on her own, nobody to defend her, could have taken advantage of her, could have thrown her out of the field, could have been all about himself, his bottom line, harvesting as much as he could. But he's not, he's generous, and he provides um, for her. He goes even beyond that. He, he, he goes beyond, he shows her where to find water uh, for refreshment. Again, we just see this as a, you know, a normal kind of thing. But it was normally the foreigners who would draw water for the Israelites. And it was normally water, uh, women who would draw uh, water for men. Um, you remember the story when um, uh, the woman goes out to find a husband. Uh, she, he sends a, a, a Rachel is being found as a wife. And he goes, um, and it's all the young women that are at the well, and they're all drawing water, and he's asking her um, for water for his camels. Jesus finds the woman at the well. It's the women who would draw water for the men. It wasn't men. Men wouldn't go and, and draw water. They would be off doing other things. But here it's Boaz, and he's like, come. You come and drink of the water that we've already drawn. She's given freedom to drink water that's already been drawn by the Israelites. He's providing for her above and beyond. And that continues, as we'll see. He, pr- he protects her. He orders his men not to touch her, not to harass her. This is maybe the first anti-sexual harassment policy recorded in the Bible. Uh, he's like, listen, make sure that she stays safe. Um, and, and, and in response to that, she falls on her face, uh, this sign of deep gratitude. She can't believe such grace has been shown to her uh, as an outsider, she was hoping, listen, if I'm lucky, they'll let me pick around the edges. I'll get to pick up some scraps. I'll work hard, and I'll be able to provide, you know, enough food for us that we're not going to starve. But instead, she's shown immeasurable grace. And it's the same for us. We have received God's grace in an even greater way than Ruth has, as recipients of Jesus' saving grace. Um, let me draw our attention to Ephesians chapter 2. This is the first 10 verses of, um, of Ephesians chapter 2. I'm not going to be able to read all that. I, had to, I actually had to bump up the, uh, the size of the font on my Bible app too. So I know it's, it's uh, so let me just, um, I'll read from here. I want us to think about um, us and our need for grace just like Ruth had a need for grace, just like Naomi had this need. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You too once lived in Moab. You too once followed foreign gods, right, we could say. Um, the, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love from which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up 
with him and seated uh, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them Notice the immeasurable riches of his grace, his kindness that he lavishes upon us in, in, in Christ. And this is what Boaz is doing. He's lavishing grace upon her and will continue as we see. Notice he, his admiration. He encourages her. Um, he first speaks of her reputation. Um, so verses 11 um, through, through, through 13. Um, if we go... Uh, yeah, sorry. Back to Ruth. He speaks, uh, he answers her, all that you have done. So she says, why have I found favor in your eyes since I'm a foreigner? Why are you being this kind to me? Why are you showing me this much grace? And he answers her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law, that's Naomi, since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He's so impressed that he expresses his admiration. Um, he, 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 he hopes that she would actually be another great matriarch in Israel like Sarah is. Like Sarah was. And he continues to encourage Ruth by wishing that God would reward her faith. He believes that Ruth's actions deserve more than his recognition of her. He believes that what she has done is a result of her faith in God. Hebrews 11 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that God is a rewarder of those who seek him in faith. He rewards our faith. Faith Faith-fueled actions um, don't go unnoticed by God. Um, now, there's a heresy that's popular this, this at, at the time that we live in called the prosperity gospel, right? Um, and it basically says that God is obligated to bless you if you do certain things um, for him. Um, and that's not true at all. God's not obligated by anyone. Um, we're not guaranteed health, wealth, prosperity. Just read the Bible. <laughs> Even God's son isn't spared um, that. So we all will go through um, suffering. Jesus promised that to his, his followers. But we can overreact sometimes to that as well and act like God doesn't show any kind of favor at all. Um, when God does show favor to those who obey, um, uh, th- essentially that's what the law was. Now, the law shows us that uh, we could never keep that law. But God's covenant to his people was basically, listen, if you'll obey me and you'll follow me, that will lead to your flourishing. That will lead to my favor and blessing upon you. And when you chase after false gods, I'll let you do that. But they can't provide for you. You can't find protection in them. They, they don't actually give you what I want to give you. And so the blessing then um, falls away. Um, and so we don't, earn our, we don't earn our salvation. That's only by grace. We saw that in Ephesians 2. But once we are a part of God's people, it's us acting in obedience to him um, that he rewards. He does um, show us favor because actually the way of Jesus leads to life. It leads to flourishing. 
as we see, it's when, we, it's when they left the promised land, when they left um, God's protection in the place that he had promised them, all that, all that they ended up with was death and emptiness. And as they returned to God and his people, as they returned to the land in which his promised um, blessings would fall upon them, we see them go from emptiness to fullness once again. He is a rewarder of faith. The whole Exodus deliverance is likened to um, what, what he describes here. You've set, you have, um, you've sought refuge under the wings of God. Um, this goes back to Exodus uh, 19. Um, he, Jesus, uh, God said to him, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Jesus talks about um, like a mother hen wanting to gather her chicks under her wings. This, it's this place of refuge. It's, it's this place of, of, of salvation that is secured for God's people. And Ruth had entrusted herself to the power and grace of the Lord. Because it's only in him that we find salvation. It's only in him that we find ultimate rest, protection, and nurture. And so I come back to our question that we started with. What is it that you're seeking after? What is it you're looking for? And maybe even more importantly, where are you looking for that? Are we looking for the peace that we've talked about even from the beginning? Maybe we're looking like Naomi um, to overcome grief and bitterness. We're going to find, just as Ruth saw, that it comes as we find ourselves under the wings of the Lord. Ruth expresses this relief and humility, this deep sense of thankfulness. She had found herself favor in Boaz's field as he shows her compassion. And neither her race or her class, um, her unmarried status as a widow, none of that prevented Boaz from showing her compassion and favor. Um, and so a few things that we see about Boaz here as well. Again, we want to look not to him but through him. Um, we learn about his kind of style of, of leadership. Even though he's this wealthy boss, he still eats with his workers. He doesn't isolate himself. He, we could say, you know, like Jesus condescends down to their level. He takes on flesh. He, he not only eats with his servants and Ruth, but he acts as the host of the meal. He serves her, the, the roasted grain, personally. And this says something about his attitude, his, his own humility, even though he's in the place of authority and power. Notice that he not only eats with them, he not only hosts it, but he provides more than enough. He's not a stingy um, leader. Um, it's the scene of abundance um, that's here. Um, he, he has her kind of hold out her apron and uh, at the mealtime, come dip your morsel in wine. He's giving her bread and wine. Um, he also uh, seats her at the table um, with everybody else. She eats until she's satisfied and then even has more left over. And does it remind you of anybody else who provided a meal for people? More so that they had baskets full, right? Jesus provides this meal, this maybe the most, one of the most famous meals, maybe besides the Last Supper, the feeding of the 5,000, of a very little, but it, he provides so much more that there was leftovers. People ate until they were full, and they had 12 baskets left over. Boaz doesn't even, he not only grants freedom um, to come and glean, but he welcomes Ruth into the group of workers. He provides a sense of honor and dignity 
It's not dignified work to go out and kind of beg, essentially, um, to kind of come behind uh, the harvesters that are there and just kind of pick up the scraps. But he shows her honor and dignity by welcoming her in among the group. Come and sit uh, with us even during uh, the time for the meal. And he goes well beyond the requirements of the law, lavishing his grace upon her. After the mealtime, Ruth prepares to continue to glean. Um, So in verses 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, let her glean even among the sheaves. Um, Don't reproach her. So don't let her just pick up the scraps. Let her actually come and glean and uh, among the things that you're harvesting as well. Not just the stuff that's that's, uh, left over, that's fallen to the ground. And then uh, in 16, and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Take some of the good stuff that we would be gleaning and taking away. Take some of it out of that and give her a portion as well. He's going way beyond um, what is required by the law. He charges them not to insult her or mistreat her. He wants to make Ruth's job easy and more beneficial for her. And as a result, Ruth had gathered this abundance, a whole ephah of barley. This is about 22 liters. It's probably about 30 pounds of grain, um, which is why Naomi is like, where have you been today when she comes home? Also, pretty good on her to be carrying 30 pounds. I had to unload a bag of coal from my car just to my house and nearly broke my back. And she's just lugging around big old 30-pound um, sack of barley. So um, strong, strong um, capable woman for sure. This would have been several weeks worth of food. This isn't just enough to get them through the next day or two. This is an abundance of this. Um, Here is Boaz, who's doing exactly what God had commanded. It's the spirit that Micah says, he has told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This is a description of Boaz, is it not? He's doing what the Lord required, but more so, he's doing justice, he's being kind, and he's walking with his God. He integrates his faith and his work together. He walks with the Lord at work. He honors those he leads. This isn't just a bifurcated thing when he's in the, in the synagogue, acting holy. It's, it's all during the week when he's at his workplace. How he's acting in work is a resemblance of who he actually is, his character. He's providing for the hungry. He is obeying the scripture when these provisions were, were laid out for the poor when many did not. He speaks words of dignity and respect. He shows her where to, 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 to drink. He honors her faith. He prays uh, uh, kind words over her, gracious words. He invites her to his table for food and fellowship. He urges the men to allow her to glean more than she ever imagined. He protects the vulnerable. Multiple times we read this. He's not passive like some men are. Just kind of, well, she can kind of fend for herself. She can kind of get on. Just, you know, kind of passive. But he's not abusive like many men were at that time. He strikes this balance of being active but in appropriate ways. He really reflects um, Proverbs 31. This is uh, often talked about as uh, what a woman looks like. This is Proverbs 31. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of uh, all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That's scripture. That's not a political statement. That's not a political manifesto. That's the Bible. 
we often make these things about um, politics. And sure, there's ways that we can um, uh, talk about how we do these things. But this is our job as Christians. And this is uh, what Boaz was taking seriously as well. He practices hospitality. He takes an ordinary occasion, a lunch break, and he transforms it into this extraordinary display of generosity and kindness. It's this communal nature of the meal, right? They're dipping bread into wine. They're there together. And again, he didn't have to do that. He could have had a separate table. Um, he certainly could have ate separate from his workers. He certainly wouldn't have eaten with foreign poor people that were just there gleaning in his field. And yet he invites them all um, to the table. May we be active in inviting and welcoming others into our homes, into our lives. Why? To demonstrate the goodness and kindness and generosity of God. And this is what he does. He goes beyond the letter of the law, displaying kindness, this hesed, this covenantal faithfulness, this uh, covenantal love of God and generosity. And this is going to become increasingly clear as we move into the story. When we understand and appreciate the Lord's kindness and patience to us, we show it to other people. Right? That's, that was the purpose of those laws, not just to, remember, it wasn't just to provide for the poor. It was to provide for the poor in a way that they would know who the Lord was, that they would know that it was the loving kindness of God's said, his covenantal faithfulness, and he walks humbly with the Lord. These are all descriptions of Boaz, but these are all descriptions of Jesus, are they not? This is exactly what Jesus does for his people. This is exactly how Jesus acts upon us. And all of this then leads to this first hope of light that we see in Naomi. Uh, This book could really be called Naomi. Uh, In many ways, this is a story about Naomi, um, who goes away empty, who comes back full, who is left destitute, hopeless, without anybody to carry on um, the family name and lineage. Um, the, uh, it will all die out. And for us, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But remember, um, the land is super important um, to the people of God. This was the land that God had promised them. The land that they would inhabit is connected to their very identity of who they are and to the promises of God. Um, so this is all before Jesus comes. It's before Gentiles are welcomed in. And so to lose that, um, to lose that land, to not be able to carry on to, to, to have your people named among God's people um, is devastating. This is God redeeming all of that, working all of that. So this book could be called Naomi. It could be called Boaz. Um, he's the central redeemer character in that. And yet it's called Ruth. Um, and uh, it, uh, those are the three main characters. Ruth is in every scene. She is the connective tissue between all of this. And she's also the means by which God um, provides. She's the means by which God delivers. She's, uh, in, in, in many ways, like a Mary character, isn't it? She's the one that will deliver this child, that will deliver uh, his people. There's so much of this Advent, um, spirit of Advent, bound up in this story. And so let's see this flicker of hope that then begins um, as she comes back. So she gleans in the field, verse 17, this evening. She beats out what she had gleaned, an ephah of barley. And she took it and went um, into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So she brought an ephah of barley plus leftovers from lunch. Um, so maybe she's brought home some, some bread, some wine, some roasted barley, 
um, that's there. And her mother-in-law said to her, uh, where did you glean today? (laughs) How did you get all of this? Where have you worked? Blessed be whoever took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I've worked today is Boaz. And this is where this like, the light kind of comes on. This is our first um, ray of hope in this story. Naomi doesn't know she's been out with Boaz. Ruth knows she's been with Boaz, but doesn't know the significance of that. She just thinks, well, this kind man showed favor on me. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by um, the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, notice what she says here. This is Ruth who said, don't call me, this is Naomi, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Um, I went away uh, full, I've come back empty. She's empty, she's bitter, and now um, hope is starting to rise within her. Her response is, blessed be, blessed be. She's able to bless once again. The person uh, who thought the Lord had cursed her, whose land uh, was being stripped from her by the Lord, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken. Whose kindness? It's not Boaz's kindness she's referring to. It's the Lord's kindness that is not forsaking the living the living or the dead, the living them. He's not forsaken them and he's not forsaken her dead husband. He's not forsaken the lineage of which will be passed on here. It's the Lord who's shown grace and kindness to to her. Blessed be the Lord. The point is that God had been kind to Naomi and Ruth and this is leading to Naomi's personal revival Hope once again is rising. Her view of the Almighty is being restored. Her bitterness is being replaced with gratitude and thanksgiving. Her whole family, to the living to the dead, seems to be hinting at her future hope. What the Lord might do. She knows that Boaz is a redeemer. One of them. Which is another little foreshadowing to maybe a complication in the story. She knows what Ruth doesn't know yet. That there might be a pathway here. This might actually offer us some hope for the future. This might be a turnaround. Weeping might be replaced with joy. We might be coming out of the darkness and a new day could be dawning. All because of God's grace to us. This man's a relative of ours, one of our redeemers. We're going to get into this more next week, but... This, uh, basically, there was this uh, uh, Hebrew tradition, law that was there. Um, it's a concept that's introduced here. We'll look at it more closely next week. But basically, a kinsman redeemer um, was able or obligated to buy back relatives if they fell into debt or to slavery. Um, but they would also sometimes marry uh, the widow of a brother or a relative if that widow was childless um, and didn't have a son um, because that land then would fall out of their name. It would fall out of their lineage. It would be sold off. This would ensure that their inheritance would continue to be associated with the deceased relative, and in this case, be associated still with the people of God. And so we see Ruth uh, has a potential now for a husband. But she says it's a redeemer. He's not the only one. Um, There are others. And so we'll get more into that next week. 
Additionally, there was a complication. The law didn't really address foreigners who had married into the family. Um, She's a Moabite. Um, So there were loopholes if Boaz wanted to absolve responsibility to marry Ruth. This isn't a given. Um, But as we've seen, Boaz is a man of grace who doesn't seem to look for loopholes and minimum requirements, who's not motivated solely by the law, but is motivated by love, motivated by the grace that God has shown him. And so, here we see this theme, a theme that should give us hope. Emptiness is now beginning to be filled. They're seeking to stumble into maybe something to be found. This bitterness, this grief, this eating away the soul has been abated and hope starts to rise. A future now seems possible. Have you ever been in that place? Maybe so disillusioned, so bitter, maybe so filled with grief, you can't even imagine a future, never mind a hopeful one. This is Naomi's state, and yet God actively working in ways that she didn't see, didn't imagine, bringing hope to the situation, all through a Redeemer. This is the story of Advent. This is the story of Christmas. In the darkness, a light shines. The darkness won't overcome it. A hope comes. A Redeemer comes that offers us fullness, that offers us forgiveness, that offers us redemption, that offers us hope. May we not just see Boaz as a character in a, in a story um, that often kind of try, we try to shoehorn a bit of romance into this and make this kind of like this romantic kind of story. There's really, there really isn't a hint of, of romance here. We're not told anything about Ruth's looks. She's not described as beautiful. She's described as young, and Boaz is described as older. That's it. And there's no real hint of like uh, sexual attraction or, or chemistry or any of that. It might be there, but it's just not really the point of the story. The point is what God is doing and working through and how he is providing and filling and offering hope once again. And so this morning, if we've come here finding ourselves empty and needing hope, may we turn to who Ruth turned to, who Naomi will once again be reminded, who is actively working and seeking, the God who provides, Jehovah Jireh, the God of Israel, who sent his son to be our redeemer. Once again, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the hope that we find in this story. It's not just uh, hope for widows. It's not just hope for the poor, although it is all those things because you care for, um, you love, um, single, married, foreigner, um, doesn't matter. Um, you um, have provided a way for us all to become part of the family of God. Um, and uh, we find ourselves in um, different seasons of life, uh, nationally even with elections and just kind of a bit of political chaos and just unknown, especially in this province. Um, it can be, uh, seem like a kind of a politically dark time, regardless of what our politics is. It just seems so chaotic at the moment. 
Um, all of us carry our personal um, problems, our, our, our circumstances, our troubles um, with us. Those don't just magically disappear um, uh, during this time of year. Sometimes they actually get uh, magnified and exacerbated because we feel like we're meant to be happy. We feel like this is meant to be the most wonderful time of the year, and often um, it, it isn't. It can be sad. It can be um, difficult. It can be hard. And yet we have hope. And yet we have a God who loves. And yet we have a God who, who is capable to provide and to protect way more than we could ever imagine. Far more than we could ever imagine. And so, Spirit, this morning, will you uh, lift our eyes as we sung this morning. Lift our eyes like Naomi, um, that we may begin to see your hand, your often invisible hand at work. May we have faith. May we put our hope and our trust in you. Um, when our future seems uh, unsure, um, when we are in the midst of, of uncertainty, of grief, of trials, of suffering, of want, um, Father, we pray that you would uh, continue um, to show your hesed to us, your faithful covenantal love to us. May we um, believe, um, help our unbelief, as we've already prayed this morning. Um, Father, for, for those of us that might be in a time of, of abundance, of, of great blessing, um, Father, we praise you for that. Um, may we, like Boaz, um, just be a conduit of that blessing and grace and, and kindness to others. Um, may we not be a reservoir of stagnant water, but may we, um, like Jesus, be a, a river of, of, of life, um, that that would flow through us to other people as well. And then... As we come to the table once again, um, Father, I pray um, that we would just be reminded of your grace given to us through Jesus. And Father, if, if, if there are those uh, among us this morning that don't know you, they've never turned to you as Ruth did, um, they still might be apart from, from you. Um, Father, may today be the day that they would confess like Ruth did, that you would be their God, um, that your people would be their people that we would repent from our sin, that we would turn to you as our only source of protection, our only source of redemption, our only source of, of escaping um, the bondage and slavery of sin that we find ourselves enslaved to. And Father, may we find refuge under your wings, um, even again this morning. Um, come, Jesus, we pray. Amen.